dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Welcome to the podcast that Mother Theodora also announced. We call it What God Is Not. Father Michael like O'Loughlin. We're, <laughs> we're kind of out of a groove because we haven't recorded for a long time. I know. That's why I'm being so awkward and like... Podcasting in the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's multiple reasons, but yes, that is that is the primary one. As it has been a while, out of the groove. So, what's new in your life, sister? Um, I don't know. I have a really hard time remembering what's happened in my life when someone asks, like, "Oh, what what happened this week?" I'm like, "Uh." Well, that's probably actually kind of what monasticism is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be a pretty strong yeah. rhythm. Uh-huh. And you're like, I'm getting holier. I'm yeah. a daily grind of lots of prayer and work, and that's making me holier. So one one week after the other, and and I'm closer to Christ and happier, more joyful. Yeah, um, my crosses are that. more carryable. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what's um. I guess that's what's new is we are doing a ton of work for the banquet. The Bridegroom's Banquet, which is this Saturday, but by the time this comes out, it will have been last Saturday. Nice. So how'd it go? (laughs) (laughs) Our audience of one is also our laugh track for the day. (laughs) That was a generous laugh because that was not very funny. (laughs) I think, uh, Olivia, was it authentic? I thought it was funny. It was an authentic laugh. Thank you. Thank you, Olivia. (laughs) Sister. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever. I'm here to keep you humble. Well, speaking is of that, that a, what are you drinking? Is that a Pines with Aquinas mug? No. That's oh, what I was, was going like, to say. you finally got one. Uh-huh. That was my other guess because they have the same ones. It's a Humble Habits, which is the brewery out of... Um, Holy Resurrection Monastery, our Byzantine monastery in Naziaz, Wisconsin. So yes, Humble Habits mug. And do you know why I have a Humble Habits mug? Because it's not mine. It is Allie's. Oh. So, so Allie and Father Nathan, who um, Father Nathan is my new parochial vicar here at the parish and uh, with their five lovely daughters, I think I've talked about before that they're coming. Uh, Father Nathan arrives in an hour. He's driving from Arizona and Allie flew in with the girls the other day. So I've had a couple of days to get to know them, but uh, they converted to Catholicism through, through Holy Resurrection Monastery. Yeah. So they were, they were both uh, evangelical. So anyway, <clears throat> so I, I'm getting insecure about the fact that you and I don't drink enough alcohol on this podcast. Um, <laughs> and that was like, that, that was is, like the why whole is that a source of insecurity. Because like with Catholic stuff, that's like the whole reason I wanted to do what are you drinking is because I wanted to try different alcohol. And sister, you're such a nun is that you you don't you can't record in the evenings. We always record in the mornings when we can't drink alcohol. So it's like what are we drinking is always like LaCroix or so instead of saying let's let's just stop doing the what are you drinking portion of this podcast. I like how I process these things live on the recording. Yeah, this is just so all you. the listeners know this is literally the first time I'm hearing this. As anything he says on the podcast, it's the first time I'm hearing it. So I I don't I don't like I don't like um Although I, I, if I was changing something, I would have run it by you, but I'm not changing anything. What I'm doing is I'm saying, in, since the initial idea was like, hey, I'm going to try a bunch of different kinds of whiskeys and beers. And that's what's going to be an interesting thing for the podcast. But since we're not, because we're recording in the morning, I decided I'm going to put a little more effort into, again, this probably will not happen, but I'm going to try to put a little more effort into actually getting different kinds of coffee and then trying different kinds of coffee and talking about those. Mm. Well, what are you drinking? And I know you might not be able to do that as much as I am, sister, but we can we can jettison this whole what are you drinking portion as well. But what I'm drinking out of my Humble Habits coffee, because it's Allie made it for me, in the French press is Pete's brand holiday blend. Okay. And I cannot tell the difference from any other coffee, so this is probably not going to be a very good <laughs> like portion of. Hey, what are you drinking? I'm drinking coffee. It it's supposedly something holiday, but it tastes just like every other coffee. I drink. Um. Well, I'm drinking out of. We can also, you know, it's interesting. We have different mugs and stuff. That's like a thing. I have a good mug. Yeah. That's so girl. Um. 
<laughs> so what mug are you drinking out of? What cute mug do you have? <laughs> this is one of the one of the one of the nuns. She asked her brother one time. Um, she says this was before. I think this was before she's a nun. But she says, Don, if you could have any car in the world, money is not an issue. What color would it be? <laughs> and um, and someone said. Um, at first, she said, "Maybe that's the difference between men and women." And and her brother goes, "No, Maki, I think that's the difference between you and the rest of the world." <laughs> but it was great. Um, I know, I know, I know many women. Again, uh, I'm not going to go there. I'm going <laughs> to leave it at that. <laughs> that's a good, good judgment. Um, prudence gain. I am drinking out of a St. Francis de Sales mug, although you clearly don't care what kind of mug I'm drinking out of, but maybe some of our listeners, men and women alike, do care what the mug is. Um, so it's covered with lots of St. Francis de Sales quotes, which um, I like him. He's a cool dude. And Are any of them about being at peace? So Sister and I are recording I on the, the day peace. after the election. Peace. Ah, there you walk, go. Walk very simply with the cross of the Lord and be at peace with yourself. Beautiful. So this this is the this is the message of the election. So when this comes out, we're obviously going to know who's our next president. Um, but right now we don't because it's Wednesday, the day after election day, and uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Nevada and. There's a couple other states that have not been decided yet. They're still counting, so mm-hmm. we'll find out. So, so um, what do you think of the new uh, president? <laughs> I can't believe you laughed at the same joke twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's also Thank a quote on Thank you, here. Olivia. <laughs> that one was much more horrible. <laughs> <laughs> there's also a quote on here that says, strive to see God in all things without exception and consent to his will joyously. And I think that's a good one for the election as well. That is beautiful. Um, But I'm drinking the Sleepy Time Peach tea, which is, it's not nighttime. Because I'm so excited of a co-host that you have to kind of (laughs) like slow yourself down a bit. You'll just be so excited about this. No, you thought I was falling asleep during your last episode. I did. Or Um, I just thought you had a migraine again. Yeah. I don't have a migraine today, but I'm trying to be Mm -hmm. hydrated and I don't like drinking water. And so I'm drinking herbal tea. Okay. Olivia, what are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking throat coat tea out of a mm-hmm. mug that has Mother Eliana's brother's face on it. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> pretty great. It says on one side, it says, I don't drink alone. And on the other side, it says, I drink decaf tea with Mother Eliana's brother. And it has a oh. picture of him on it. It's, it's a play very on... personalized. Have you seen those? Have you seen those? It was a very clever gift. Have you seen those coffee mugs that... Um, because there's that that Orthodox nun who um, Sister Vasa mm-hmm, who does um, YouTube oh, yeah. is it YouTube yeah the, mm-hmm. um, but it's coffee <laughs> coffee with Sister Vasa so they have yes. mugs that say on one side I don't drink alone and on the other side it says I drink coffee with Sister Vasa and then it has a picture of her in front of like her bookshelf and so this is a picture of of Don Mother Eliana's brother. Mm-hmm. Drinking tea, like holding a tea mug in front of a bookshelf. It's very funny. So you just revealed which of the nuns it was that uh, did the color car. As soon as that came out of my mouth, I realized that. <laughs> but I think she'd be okay with it. I'll let her know after. We'll edit it out. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, corrections or thoughts from last time? Well, I know you have We have a list. I do. I a do. list? Are there more than two now? No, okay. I just well then, then I then I anyway I know that you have one too. So um, corrections from last time. I have um, one too. Sh- shout out you you have something you asked me to do um, to research. Um, oh And we yes. can talk about that too. So um, so shout out to uh, Deacon Jonathan Dean, a good friend of mine who uh, who sent us a correction. He's a he's a he's one of the smart ones. Um, so I'm glad we have a smart one. We're, we're, we're right now thinking about getting a board for this podcast and, and like we need all these different like areas. Um, and like one of the areas you want is like a smart one. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get all these emails from listeners yeah. now. Can I be on your board? <laughs> they, they, I'm real smart. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so he, he said two things and I think this is important. Um, so one of the one of the clarifications, as he says, 
um, is actually something that that he obviously has done either private research or knows from seminary. But I grew up calling every red cloth an illiton. So every red cloth um, that we use, if we use it for anything, we call it an illiton. Um, an illiton is is technically the, what you use to put underneath either the Antimensian, which is the, I'll talk about that actually in today's podcast. Um, you unfold the Antimensian, which has an icon of, of Christ uh, being taken off the cross on it. And you either put it underneath that or on top of that, depending on the tradition. Or in our Ruthenian tradition, we tend to use them to go underneath the gifts on the Proscomedia altar. So in other words, uh, you, you put that down as kind of a, it probably fulfills a similar, historically, a similar role as a, um, what do you call it, Olivia? A you're, you're Roman Catholic. Thank you, a corporal. Um, as the corporal, I, like you, you lay it out so you can put sacred things on top of it, and if anything spills, it'll land on this sacred cloth rather than on the altar. So mm-hmm. um, that's what an illiton is: is it goes either on the main altar or on the proscomedia altar. In in we always use it on the proscomedia altar. We don't use one on the main altar, um, at least in 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 my education in uh, Ruthenian tradition. But that's what an illiton is. A lentian is what you hold underneath someone's chin as they're receiving the Eucharist. Um, in my experience, we use the same type of cloth for both things. They don't look any different. You just, this piece of cloth, which is like a red square, if you're putting it underneath something that is sacred on an altar, it's an illiton. If you're holding it underneath someone's face when they're receiving the Eucharist, it's it's a Lentian. And bo- both, both <laughs> that are- That's such a weird men. way to say that. <laughs> I know, if you're holding that too, it under someone's I said. face. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, so it, they're, they're both, they're both to, to be near the sacred, you know, but they're two different things. So, so I, I've always said illiton for both, um, but that was a clarification that shout out to Father Joel Barstat. He did say he made that clarification when I was in Denver. When he finished up seminary, he said actually in in, in seminary we distinguish between the two, and I grew up not distinguishing the two. So I and I taught Sister Natalia um, since she was from my parish. So <sighs> she's you you said you said illiton for what what goes on under somebody's face um, to, for, for the Eucharist. Um, so anyway, that's my fault that, that you said that, but yeah, I think it is good to keep up with what the seminary is currently teaching. So oh, anyway, absolutely. this is like 400 level Byzantine stuff here. So most people do not care, but but there is a Lentian for the, the Eucharist, distributing communion, Illiton is for going on one of the altars underneath things that are sacred. I'm gonna have to correct that at the monastery now because I taught the whole monastery that yeah. it's illiton. I'll I'll send you a screenshot of his text so you can spell it right too, because he 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 like he knows this stuff. It's not um, just L E N T I O N. Yes, probably. Oh, you're one of the smart ones too, huh, sister? It is L E N T I O N. I should be on our board. Um, See, but but he uh, but he <laughs> says so he spells illiton I L I T O N in this uh, text. So I, uh-huh. I always thought there were two L's. Got it. But anyway, well, we can look that up. Um, and then the other thing from last time was you asked me to... No, there's something, another correction you have. Yeah. The proscomedia. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, that was my bad. So, And this was just me misspeaking. So um, I mentioned in the last podcast that the proscomedia altar is also called, I said, the prosopon altar. Um, prosopon means face. And the reason it's in my head is because there's a prosopon school of iconography. And so, and I always say proscomedia. I've never said prothesis. I meant to say prothesis. So mm-hmm. it's either proscomedia or prothesis. Those are the two names for the altar and for the process that I talked about last time of preparing the bread and wine um, to be consecrated in, in the, the pre-divine liturgy uh, ritual that happens there. So I said, prosopon is not prosopon, prosopon means face, and, and I had it in my head because it was of iconography. I misspoke. So it's either proscomedia or prothesis, not prosopon. Scratch that. We'll edit that out. No, we won't. We won't, because that, then this crash would make no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Like he didn't get it wrong though. No, he was just so insecure and, and prideful that he edited it out of the previous one. So sorry like you for did that, about your listeners. That <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I did edit that out actually. Yeah, 
Um, that's because we didn't have Olivia here to laugh at my jokes, and it was just you. No, no actually, Olivia didn't. was there. No, but she I didn't was laugh. there. I also <laughs> thought it wasn't funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's horrible. My guardian angel laughed. I think that's I why it. you said you knew it was bad. Was because that's I didn't right. Laugh I'm like at all. even Oli- even Olivia didn't laugh at that one. That's that's pretty bad. <laughs> all right. So those are my hashtag corrections. What was the, what was the clarification? I'll let you jump in. I'm talking too much. Go ahead, sister. What was the other thing I need to do? Um, you're not talking too much. This is your episode. The but I do. Well, I want to give a few shout outs first. Um, even though it's not the end of the podcast, <laughs> the I want to give a shout out to um, someone named James. I don't remember if he said it's okay that I used his name, but I just did. So sorry, James, if I wasn't supposed <laughs> to. Um, but he sent us an email with a screenshot of um, the. <laughs> he had Googled the the word "guested" to see if it was actually a word because I said something about us having guested on someone else's podcast, and I'm oh. pretty sure you were like, oh, "I don't think that's a word." Um, I still don't think it is. He. He sent us a screenshot in the email. James, you're wrong. Father Michael. <laughs> and he said, he said, we got your back, SN. And I was very okay. grateful. So, um, Fine, I'm wrong again. This is the third time I've been wrong on this podcast. <laughs> I've cracked myself again. <laughs> um, you know, I love how s- Sister Talia laughed more than Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> you're so nice, though, that you wouldn't do these things to me on the podcast, but I do them to you because yeah, I'm not nice. Um, also, shout out to lots more banquet registrants who are podcast listeners to Katie, Keith, Amanda, Amy, Laura, Teresa, Hannah, and Jason. Um, more have registered since I wrote those down, so I'm going to have to give them a shout out next time. But um, I'm grateful for your support. And um, because this is coming out in the future, I hope you enjoyed the banquet. Father Michael, did you enjoy the banquet? <laughs> I thought it was lovely. It, it was one of the best ever, except that it was virtual. And all You've the other ones been I've been to. One. <laughs> you jumped in on my joke. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah. And one last one last shout out to a woman named Pat, Pat McCarter. Um, I don't know if I said her last name right, and I'm sorry if I didn't, Pat. But uh, she's the mom of a friend of ours, Craig, who's a listener. And um, Craig just sent me a really beautiful email about um, how the podcast has been um, something his mom has really been enjoying. And it's just like, yeah, so I'm praying for you, Pat. And I hope I get to meet you someday. Those nice. are my shout outs. And so the thing from the last episode was I wanted to know why when we have the Trisagian prayers, the holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal one, have mercy on us. We sing it thrice, but if there is a bishop present or bishops present, <clears throat> they sing it the third time, not the people. Yes. Um, and I During wanted to know- divine liturgy, yeah. Yes, only if it's hierarchical. Good point. Um, and I wanted to know why that is. So I uh, did my research. I went to the Library Good of Alexandria and, uh, and dug through the books, the ancient ancient writings, and found nothing. So I called Father David Petrus because um, <laughs> he, he knows everything. Um, and uh, so according to Father David Petrus, so I'm sure it's right, um, there has always been a tradition, I, I think probably because the repetition, that there is an alternating between the clergy and the people. Mm-hmm. So we, we have now lost that in, in our current practice of, of alternating between the clergy and that we all just sing it together. But um, according to some traditions, you would the, the clergy would sing it three times, then the, then the people would sing it three times. Um, and there were just different traditions of, of alternating singing the holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. So what happened was, is when, when Russia converted under the equal of the apostles of Vladimir, um, when Russia converted, they, they went under the Omophore, under the leadership of Constantinople. So they, they went, in other words, the patriarch of Constantinople became their patriarch. And when they did that, Constantinople then sent um, Greek bishops to Russia to be the bishops of the area. And the Greek bishops did not speak Russian. So they sang their part of the Holy God in Greek. 
because mm-hmm. that's what they spoke. So when the alternation was happening, they sang it in Greek. Then what happened was is, is as the conversion of Russia continued and they actually did have Russian clergy and Russian bishops, um, by then it was already, quote, tradition. You know, so the, these things that are that, that are tradition start out as we know, as we're talking about many times, things that become tradition start out as something very practical, and then it kind of takes on a spiritual dimension. Mm-hmm. Not that this has a spiritual dimension, but that's what happened here: is that the the, the first bishops in Russia, which our Ruthenian tradition comes from the Slavs, so therefore, you know, Rus, um, the the Russian part of the Byzantine uh, tradition, if you will. And so, uh, so they just continued, even when they had Russian, they, the B- Russian bishops continued singing it in Greek because that's what they remembered from the beginning of the tradition. So that's what that is. We, we have retained the tradition of singing, the bishop singing part of the holy God in Greek and just uh, doing his part because the alternation was also a tradition. Okay. So does, does that make sense? <clears throat> it does, yeah. Thanks. That's probably a little more boring than you were hoping, um, but we can, we can make up a spiritual re- reading for it. No, we're not going to make things up and then catechize okay. people with them. <laughs> My That's what have... I thought was and the case with Illaton. You just made it up. <laughs> you just taught it in the parish. <laughs> My answer would have been just because it sounds cool. It but. does sound cool. Yeah. My one issue with it is that since we never do that except during a hierarchical, I've never been with a singer hierarchical where the people actually stop singing. And let the bishop do the third one. So there's always this: the people start singing the, the the English, and then the bishop like overrides them with the Greek, and then they kind of awkwardly stop singing. Oh, so, I think I think Bishop Milan does it really well. I think he kind of cuts in towards the end of the second yeah, one, so that wise. people, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and he is Go. such a beautiful melt, a, a beautiful. Um, <laughs> A beautiful mullet? Does he have a mullet? What were you going to say? He has a beautiful voice. Okay. (laughs) He has a beautiful voice. And I was going to say, it makes my heart melt into a puddle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is so embarrassing. Vision Milan has a really beautiful voice, and that's the whole story. (laughs) Can we move on with the topic? Absolutely. Um, Topic. So those are our corrections. We did our drinks. Okay. So um, we're now moving on. And I'm guessing, I hate to say, for those of you who don't like this portion of the podcast, I hate to say it, but we're probably going to have to do a two. Let's see how how, how much we get. But I want to move on to the liturgy of the faithful. So as I mentioned before, the first podcast in this kind of walk through the divine liturgy was the the, uh, proscomedia or the prothesis rites. The, uh, the rites that are, that are generally hidden that are done without the people um, knowing them or witnessing them. The second one was the liturgy of the catechumens, namely the, the part of the liturgy that is open to anybody, even the catechumens. Catechumen is someone who's still learning about the faith in order to become initiated into the faith. And so the first part that, that, is, that is the antiphons, I mentioned the old procession, I mentioned the gospel reading, I mentioned the, the, the holy God, the Trisagion, um, the, uh, the kind of the smaller creed that is the, uh, that is the prayer of the incarnation, him of the incarnation, and then in through the homily and then the litanies that follow the homily. So that, that's, the, that's the part that is open to anybody. Um, and now we get into the liturgy of the faithful, namely the catechumens who be kicked out at this point. The idea is that unless you're baptized, you cannot understand the creed or the anaphora. So the the creed is is a statement of belief, and if unless you have the grace of baptism, then you you don't have the gift of faith. And and of course, the creed is is an act of faith. It is a statement of belief and a statement of faith. <clears throat> and then, of course, the the anaphora, where the bread and the wine becomes by the power of the Holy Spirit, the body and blood of Christ. Um, that is is super rational. It is supernatural. It is super rational. You can't just you can't understand that unless you have the grace of the death and the resurrection, the new creation, the being born again that happens through the sacraments of initiation. So now we're getting into the part that that is super rational and that is is only quote understood you know um, somehow processed by those who have received the gift of faith through initiation, baptism, chrismation, Eucharist, and then um, and so can so can receive the graces of it and uh, find fulfillment or joy in it, in, in the understanding that comes through the eyes of faith or the mind of faith. Great. Yes. Yes. Right. Are you going to talk about um, 
how that starts with the catechumens leaving? Yes. Um, so, uh, do you remember where I laid off? Where I let off last time, sister? Melt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say melt if I ever misspeak now. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember where I left off? I feel like with the Trisagian. And no. Maybe you talked about the readings and stuff. I probably wasn't listening. I was listening. It was just a really <laughs> it was a really long time ago. It must I, I, I can't imagine not getting to at least the homily. So the readings yeah. and then the homily. The yes. homily is yeah. So the homily is a way that the the preacher and again I do mention because some some priests will do the homily at the end of the liturgy so as mm-hmm. not to break up the ritual. Yeah, you um, but that. the homily commonly now the homilies after the readings just so that you actually remember them um, because our our Western brains are so squirrel that we could not remember the readings by the end of the liturgy when you hear the homily. So um, the homily of the sermon then is is an application of the readings to the lives of that specific congregation. Mm-hmm. So then following that you have a few litany. That are a bit that came a bit later um, in time in, in the formation of the of the liturgy as it currently is, and those there's one liturgy one litany excuse me the litany are a series of petitions and the people answer, um, Lord have mercy. So the the deacon, ideally if you have a deacon he he makes certain petitions prayerful petitions and the people answer Lord have mercy. Um, there's one called the litany of fervent supplication that that came during a time of great tension in the church and so we we say Lord have mercy. Three Three times, it's kind of a, a fervent supplication, fervent petition. You'll hear it called different things, and it's especially the the petitions are are oriented around um, peace, um, praying for our our authorities, and and praying for peace, praying for our government, um, etc. Praying for the people that are here present, and then praying like just mul- mercies multiple times again with that insistence. There's also a litany for the deceased that you that, that you may hear that you can put in there. That's optional. In our church, at least, it's optional. A litany for the deceased that follows this, and then there's a litany for the catechumens, and this is this is the last thing the catechumens would hear before being dismissed. So they would be they would be prayed for themselves, and then they would leave, um, usually to go continue their their courses, their classes on the faith, so that they can be be initiated and receive those sacraments at the beginning. And when when do we have the lit- the litany of the catechumens? Litany of the Catechumens is, is after the other two litanies. So it would be, you'd have but a I litany mean, of fervent supplication after the homily. But we don't Oh, if have, you have catechumens? Yeah, we don't always have that litany is what I'm saying. Yeah, so some traditions always do it because they pray for the catechumens that are somewhere in the whole world. Mm. Um, I believe that Holy Resurrection Monastery does it every single liturgy um, mm-hmm. from what I've heard or seen on Facebook. Um, but uh, in our Ruthenian tradition, we generally do not do that unless we have catechumens. And there's actually a couple litanies within the litany of catechumens that they're supposed to be said only by the catechumens. Um, so the Lord have mercy would only be done by um, by the catechumens who are then preparing. As soon as that litany is over, then they would be dismissed. Um, but yeah, so it generally happens if, Again, yeah, if you have catechumens, but you, different traditions will do that different ways, just like everything in our Byzantine traditions. <laughs> you're you're going to find different things in different traditions, and that's mm-hmm. important to understand. So you don't be too condemning if they, somebody else does something differently than you. Um, yeah. All right. Anything else on that, Sister Olivia? Nope. Moving on. All right, good. Um, so then we have um, the what we call the Cherubicon. Um, it is the the people begin the hymn, um, that goes, let us who mystically represent the cherubim and sing the thrice holy hymn to the life creating trinity now set aside all earthly cares. This transition is an acknowledgement that now the catechumens are gone. Now the only people in church are, are the faithful or the catechumens are leaving at this point, but they're, they're usually already gone. Um, what, what's, what's happening is now is, is the faithful. So we now can understand better what we cannot see. So we understand that we mystically represent the cherubim. So the cherubim, of course, the angels, the seraphim mentioned, the angels are, are in heaven um, offering perfect worship to God. And, the, and Jesus Christ is, is outside of space and time um, offering the perfect liturgy to the father. The divine liturgy is offered to the father. And so the angels are the ones who are singing God's praise outside of space and time in heaven. So we here on earth in space and time, now the faithful, now baptized, we um, represent them in, in doing imperfect, but still worthy because it's, 
Jesus Christ is the one acting worthy sacrifice to God. So let us who mystically represent the cherubim and sing the thrice holy hymn, the life giving Trinity. So the thrice holy hymn um, was what we did earlier. That's the holy, 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 the holy God, holy, mighty, holy, mortal one, the Trisagion. So remember how I mentioned last time that the Trisagion is the, the most important part of the very beginning of the divine liturgy. So the, the litany and the antiphons, those would all have been done generally, the litany comes later, but would have been done as the people were getting to church. Mm-hmm. When you got to church, you would have the the little entrance or the entrance of the bishop, the entrance of the gospel book, and then the, the holy, holy, holy. So now we're kind of reflecting back upon that and saying, we have done the holy, 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 that is done. And now we're moving on to the next part of the liturgy, which is the which is the the kind of the Sabbath rest, the, the Christian Sabbath rest. This is the part where, where we take a step back and God acts. So again, remember that liturgy means, references can reference, this is debated, but references the work of the people or the participation of the people. When we put divine divine in front of it, that means that the work or the it's God acting as well, God primarily mm-hmm. acting. So um, again, now set aside all earthly cares. So this is, this is so important and so um, mysterious, but immense of an event that's about to happen that that nothing else matters. You know, all, all the the cares and the worries of the day, the cares and the worries of the world, um, should all just kind of fall into the wake of what we're about to do. And this should occupy all of our attention. We should be thankful and joyful about the rest of the liturgy. Even if our life is, is completely horrible, there, there, there's a, a proper posture of awe with what is about to happen that it's not like, ideally we wouldn't actively set aside all of the cares, but we would, we would kind of just let them fall into the wake. Um, some have also interpreted this as um, kind of just referring to sin or concupiscence. Mm. In other words, we're, we're, we're about to do something that is completely pure, that is completely true and just and beautiful. So, so in other words, set aside earthly cares referring to, to like the sin. Passions. The passions. I mean, I, I, I interpret this as kind of saying, now we're in church, you're still going to have you know, kids making noise and running around. You're still going to have smelly people there with you. You're still going to have, you know, the canders don't always sing right or the priest has a bad voice or the deacon's coughing, whatever. Like there are all these things that that, that mm. the devil's going to try to use to distract you from this. And, and so set aside those annoyances, set aside any thoughts that aren't completely focused on what's going on here. So different interpretations of that. Um, but yes, so that that we we repeat that while the priest then is praying some some private prayers, um, and then he at this point the priest prays these private prayers, and then he goes over um, to the proscomedia altar or proscomedia room or prothesis altar prothesis room, and he takes then the bread and wine that was prepared before the liturgy began. He and he carries them veiled back into through the through the congregation or at least uh, across the Salea. the Salea is like the the step that that um, that you would step up between where the congregation is and where the iconostas is that's called the Salea. so the priest then would would go out and 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 among the people and carry these carry this bread and wine among the people and then back up to the altar while the people continue to sing this trubicon <clears throat> i like um this is going back a bit, but I'm I'm grateful that you mentioned that the thrice holy hymn is referencing the Trisagion, the the Holy God, Holy Mighty, um, because I think that it just it just so happens that the time that it takes the priest to to get everything ready and to get to the proscomedia table and pick up the gifts, um, it seems most common that we sing the Trubicon thrice, <laughs> and oh, yeah. so I I think a lot of people get confused and think that when they say that when we sing in that about singing the thrice holy hymn, they think that we're referencing the Trubicon that we're currently singing because we sing it thrice. Mm. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah. But um, I've, I've known people to have that confusion. So, um, so I'm glad that you point out that that's referencing. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Holy God, Holy Mighty, Lord, that we just sang. Yeah. Yeah, because that's definitely yeah. I, I don't think most people understand that how important that is to that first portion of the divine liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of everything leads up to it, um, everything before it leads up to it, and then it leads to this. So mm-hmm. there, there's definitely within the divine liturgy. There's a you start out 
um, with with even just getting to church. You're praying through that. So there's, as I'm sure I've mentioned before, everything has preparation. You know, even the Trisagian prayers that we pray before at the end of the hours, like those prayers just lead up to the Our Father. So our, our, our Byzantine church understands very well if you're going to do something sacred or say a very powerful prayer, you need to understand your humanity and you need to make sure that you are kind of preparing for that very immense moment. Um, so again, in, in the Byzantine tradition, you generally wouldn't just start by praying the Our Father. I know we do that like for grace before meals. A lot of times we'll just start saying the Our Father, but but you know, I'm sure in monasteries or in some monasteries, they probably do all the Trisagian prayers and then the Our Father. Um, sorry, I forgot that. Yeah. So, but again, it's, it's, it, this is not always observed, but I think it is beautiful. If you're going to do something really, really important, put all the preparation work into, you know, like no man who's going to ask his girlfriend to marry him, just like, you know, generally doesn't knock on the, knock on the door of her apartment. And then when she opens it, he's kneeling there. It's like, right. You, you go out for a nice dinner, you get dressed up and then, then you, you do all this preparation that kind of, kind of sets the mood for the proposal. I imagine generally, um, but but so this is kind of in that same vein. Um, we are we are doing things to prepare for even greater things, you know. And I think that that has applications in life, um, you know, where we if if this is why we generally dress up for church, you know, you you wear something different. Lay people should I, like you actually even thought about do. yeah right right you you you, you thought about. We're, we're about to do something beautiful and holy and therefore like getting dressed up is a preparation and put, put myself and my family in the right mood, mindset, posture, the right look for, because something beautiful and sacred is coming up. So anything that is good and beautiful, if you want to remember that it is, put a little bit more time and effort into, into preparing for it Right. This is why we have the great fast before Pascha. This is why we have we have Philip's fast or Advent before Christmas. Right. These things are our time and space that 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 are used to prepare for something so that we fully can understand the beauty of it even better than if we just kind of threw ourselves into it. Hmm. Yeah, and this is part of the beauty of, of fasting before liturgy as well. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Good call. Good application. Fasting before liturgy, um, fasting before, you know, yeah, before feasts, all of these. The, the fast is uh, that time of preparation, preparing the body and preparing the mind and the soul for something big and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Cool. So then the priest at this point, he he walks generally, again, you're going to see this in different parishes. And please ne- ne- never take like any of these what, what you read in the book or what you hear from us or something like that. And then go to a Byzantine parish and judge them for not doing these things uh, that you're, you're kind of missing the point if you do that. So again, th- there are different traditions. So please understand that not every parish is going to do all of these things. Um, but generally um, the priest at this point would, would take the gift. So the bread and, and the wine that are now covered by veils and he would, would walk through the congregation. Some parishes, he would just walk. He'd come out the side door, the deacon door, walk along the salaya, and then go back in the main doors. But, um, but the this tradition was came from a time when the uh, the the uh, prothesis or the postcomedia altar was a whole separate building, and like in Hagia Sophia, a whole separate building. So the the this was literally an entrance, like a procession through the people. And what happens at this time, and this you'll see this liturgically in, in many different ways. What happens at this time is that the people see the the bread and the wine carried by the priest. Now, one thing that's important to understand in the ancient church was that when you, when you went to liturgy, you not only prepared by dressing up, you not only prepared by singing psalms on the way to liturgy, you prepared for the liturgy by most people, if not everybody, baked bread. So they all baked either one to five loaves of bread and they, they would bring that to church as an offering. So it wasn't like the priest makes the bread or one person makes bread, everybody makes bread. And then they, there's a whole process to making the bread. We can do a whole podcast on that if we, if we want to in the future. There's a whole process to making the bread that's going to become the body of Christ. And part of that process is taking a stamp and stamping the top of it with um, Jesus Christ conquers, Jesus Christus Nica. And so um, obviously anybody who's baked bread and let it rise, et cetera, because in the Byzantine church, we use leavened bread since Christ rose from the dead, we raise the bread. Um, so when you do that, you, you, you know, 
master chefs know how to do it so that the bread doesn't crack and it doesn't get lumpy and it's not lopsided, things like that. So people would make the bread, they would bring it. And then there was a tradition where when everybody brought their bread before divine liturgy and they'd bring it to this other room in Hagia Sophia, the deacon then would would find the 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 best looking five loaves among the hundreds that people would bring. The best looking five loaves, and this refers to the unblemished calf. So, so right, Christ is the unblemished, the perfect sinless sacrifice. But he would take the, the perfect five loaves, uh, the most perfect five loaves, and that the priest would then take those five to prepare them in that proscomedia ritual um, for this entrance and to be consecrated. So as the the priest and the deacon are walking through the people, bringing this bread and wine to the altar to be consecrated. Most of the people are hoping that that's their bread. They don't know. They'll never know. But they, they're hoping that's their loaf because every loaf that the people would bring represented their intention for that divine liturgy. So I, I, I take my loaf and you'll see some traditions where um, the people will just give a big list of intentions and then the priest or the deacon at the at, during the prothesis ritual, um, proscomity ritual will, will actually take one loaf, cut a little particle out of it to represent that person's intention, put it on the discos, as I mentioned in, the, in, that part, in that podcast, and then set the rest aside. And that would become bread for the poor, for the people after the liturgy. So they literally take a, take a triangle out of each loaf. You know, you'll see this in some traditions as well. But when the people, when he's walking in, the people are kind of hoping it's theirs, then they know that the bread symbolizes their intention for that divine liturgy, whether the living or the deceased, whoever they're praying for. Um, so what the people would do is the priest would walk through the priest, the deacon, actually, I'm not sure who would do it, but the people would literally whisper into his ear in the early, early church, whisper into his ear their intention for the divine liturgy. And the priest then would, would, would announce this intention. So, you know, someone's walking by and they whisper in the priest's ear, my grandmother's name is Jean and she's sick. And the priest would say, you know, for Jean who's sick, something like that, you know, and then the other person would say for this, this, and the priest would announce, you know, vocally all of the intentions of the people and he would do it at this time. So now once that Cherubicon is done, you'll hear the priest say a memorized list of intentions that, that nowadays kind of in, in, encapsulate everybody's intention for that divine liturgy. Um, but in some traditions, you will still see people reach out and touch the priest's vestment. And that touching of the vestment comes from the time when the people would be touching his vestment, like getting right up to his ear and, and mentioning their intention in his ear. So if you're touching the priest's vestment during this part of the liturgy, you should be thinking in your head or even saying quietly out loud, but say it quietly, what your intention for that divine liturgy is. And the spiritual idea here is that you're kind of heaping your intentions onto the bread and wine so that when it is consecrated, after the anaphora is done, these intentions in a sense, like to use the Pauline term, get get crucified to Christ. So so they 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 become part of the sacrifice of Christ to the Father. And that's the best place and the blessed time for intentions that we want to pray for. And so when the priest is carrying it through, you'll see people touching his vestment, they're saying in their head or out loud what their intention for that divine liturgy is. Some people mistakenly think that this is like the woman touching the the tassel of Jesus's cloak and being healed from it. And that's fine because like there is grace there and, and you can do that. I mean, you can touch the, the vestments, but just remember that that's not yet the Eucharist. It's mm -hmm. still only blessed bread and wine. So um, the, the a better time to, to reach out and touch the, don't do this unless you tell the priest first, but the better time to touch the vessel would be, would be like after the Eucharist, when the, when the priest is giving a blessing, which I'll get, get to probably next podcast, when the priest is giving a blessing after you've received, because then it is the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm going to Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you made that distinction because I wanted to make that as well because I know that um, a lot of people, when they when they see that, when they see some of the parishioners reaching out and touching the, they, they do think that it's, it's out of some sort of um, reverence for the body and blood of Christ. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad you make that, the, that distinction that this is not yet the body and blood of Christ. Like you're not misspeaking here when you say bread and wine. Um, it's, it's actually still bread and wine blessed, but, but not um, the body and blood of Christ. And so again, I, I don't I don't mind usually when people because I think everybody thinks of that, especially newcomers. They think it's the woman touching the tassel of Jesus' cloak for healing. It's like it can mean that, but in a much less and non-historical way than than the intentions of the divine liturgy that are mm -hmm. that are done at that time. Yeah. 
All right, and then uh, and then so the when the priest gets up to the altar and he's said this now nowadays memorized list of intentions. Um, when he gets to the front of the altar and then the people continue the prayer and say that we may receive the King of all invisibly escorted by angelic hosts. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. So um, notice we're still very aware of the presence of angels, right? The holy, holy, holy was all about the angels. The the beginning of the Trubicon and now the end of it is all about the angels. There's just an awareness that there's more than just us here in this divine liturgy. Then the angels were the Old Testament Again, the, the ladder that Jacob saw with the angels ascending and descending, the angels in the Old Testament were the ones who communicated God's word to us and brought our words back up to heaven. So the angels are, are the ones who, who we recall and we now realize in a sense that we don't need the angels in the same way anymore. You know, here we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have access to God and especially this divine liturgy, God is here, God is present. So we're still representing them them, but we're kind of recalling their presence and the angels are gathered there with us, even though we can't see them. Um, but that there's still this kind of remembrance or calling to mind of the presence of the angels um, that are there. And if we could see them, the room would just be full of them, of course. Um, same thing with the saints, those who have died and who are outside of space and time, therefore they're at every liturgy. So mm-hmm. this, this reminder of, of that presence continues on through this portion of the divine liturgy. Mm-hmm. Anything, Olivia? No. Any thoughts? Sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot. No, I just feel the things every once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> like You say Amen. something and then I just close my eyes and I'm like, oh, that's good. And then- yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's why, why we in the Byzantine church really haven't changed our divine liturgy in hundreds and hundreds of years because the, the, there's so much there that, that it is, it's, it's, Timeless, you know the, these prayers. If you understand what's going on, there, there's no need. We, have, we of course update translations because people understand it, but there's there's very little change in the liturgy itself. Because if you're bored or if you don't understand it, you just need to learn more, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need to adapt the liturgy. You you just need we we need to draw people to a deeper, better understanding of what is an absolutely beautiful and applicable liturgy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Um, so uh, after that, then the priest sets these gifts down on the altar and, um, and then he begins that next portion of the liturgy. I just want to share a couple prayers here that you would never hear. Um, so when the priest sets the, the gifts down on the altar, he then takes off the veils. While taking off the veils, he says, the noble Joseph took down your most pure body from the cross. He wrapped it in a clean shroud and with fragrant spices laid it in burial in a new tomb. So people don't hear this. The priest says it very quietly, but he does this as he's taking the veils off. And as a priest, it's a really beautiful moment because again, anamnesis, I'm gonna talk about that more probably next time, but anamnesis means remembrance. And, and I've sure I've said this before, but it just, it's the opposite of dismember. Dismember means to take something apart. Remember means to put it back together again. So when we think of anamnesis, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not just saying like, think of a time that happened 2000 years ago when this happened. He's literally saying, um, remember it. In other words, bring it back to reality. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the death and resurrection of Christ is now present to us in a mystical, but in a very, very real way. Um, so when, the, when for, this is gonna happen a lot during this part of the liturgy where, where, where these mysteries, these, uh, these historical occurrences are actually present to us. They've traveled through space and time or outside of space and time to be present to us. And we are present at the cross of Christ. We're present at the resurrection of Christ or more probably those things are present to us at that moment. They came to us. So when the priest says the noble Joseph took down your most of your body from the cross, um, the reason why we say that there is because the priest is taking off these veils and then like putting them in a kind of a pile and laying to the side. So um, it's just this beautiful moment of through anamnesis, I'm taking the veils off and I'm there with Joseph of Arimathea. You know, I'm there with the women who are watching and it's, it's it, those, these mysteries are now present to us. So the priest says that he's taking the veils off and then is he grabs this, his sense. The, the Antimensian is still folded at this point? no. Thank you. I skipped that part. Because um, isn't, so, isn't that the is that the same verse that's in the Antimensian or no? That is the verse that's around the burial is, shroud. Yeah. So that's why. Uh, 
right? I think it's around the end. It's I don't I don't think it's around the Antimensian. Some might have that, um, but I would imagine that is the image on the Antimensian. So I'm mm-hmm. sure many of them have it. So the the image. So thank you. Let's go back to that. So as soon as the catechumens are dismissed, so as soon as the the amen, so there the people sing amen at the litany of catechumens. As soon as that happens, um, while the people are singing the trubicon, the let us who mystically represent the cherubim, as that's happening, then the, then the priest opens up the antimensian. So the antimensian is folded. The antimensian is a piece of cloth with a relic with a relic of a martyr in it. So this goes all the way back to the the times when um, there's kind of a double meaning here. Um, the times when when the liturgy or the mass was celebrated in the catacombs. Um, and therefore, like on the tombs of the martyrs. The reason here is that, um, again, somebody in, in, in the secular understanding, somebody being killed is just, that's the end of their life. That's the end of their influence in the world. We Christians, of course, understand that to be completely false. When Christ was killed, his influence was magnified in the world and we became the body of Christ. You could even see the, the magnification of persons. So the same thing with a martyr. When someone dies a martyr, their influence is even greater after death than it was before death. Mm-hmm. So when you have, when you're saying the liturgy on the tomb of a martyr, you're saying um, this person's death, which is a gift, which is a participation in Christ's own death, that becomes the foundation of the church. The foundation or the seedbed of the church is the death and resurrection of Christ. When we die a martyr, we participate in Christ's death and resurrection. Therefore, our self-gift, our martyrdom becomes the foundation because it's in Christ, becomes the foundation or the seedbed where the church grows and where the church rests. So having a liturgy on the tomb of the martyrs is literally saying um, this, they, they lived the liturgy well. They lived the Eucharist well. They were the body of Christ and they became the foundation upon which we rest and this sacrifice. The other meaning can be actually like it's Christ's tomb. So where Christ died and rose is where we're having this liturgy. So um, just like in the Roman Catholic tradition, there's a relic in the altar stone that's in the altar. Um, in our Byzantine tradition, some Byzantine churches have a relic in the altar as well. In our Ruthenian tradition, we generally do have a relic in the altar as well, but there is another relic in the Antimensian. So in this piece of cloth um, that, that, that has an icon on the piece of cloth of Joseph of Arimathea taking down the body of Christ. There, there's a relic, usually like a piece of hair of one of the martyrs in a piece of wax and inside of that. So the idea here is that the catechumens, if they saw an icon of Christ being taken down from the cross, in other words, Christ is dead in this icon, that would be scandalous because here we are saying that Christ is gonna save us. Christ is the Messiah. And yet they see an icon of him dead. Then they're saying, well, in, in the secular world, once you're dead, you no longer have any effect on the world or on the church. We Christians, once we're baptized, understand again that the influence on the world is greater after death because you're in the body of Christ in a more perfect way and you intercede by, at the throne of God for this. So, um, so that antimension gets opened only after the catechumens are dismissed. And it's important um, also to remember... Where am I going with this? I got distracted. I had all these other other thoughts, perlas running around my head. Um, so once the once the people say amen, the, the priest opens the antimension. Oh, it's like Christ in the scriptures. There it is. It's like Christ in the scriptures where he says, when he does a miracle, don't tell anybody what mm. I've done. And in one place he says, don't tell anybody till after my resurrection. So that's similar to this. When we keep the antimension closed, we keep the icon hidden until only the faithful are there. We're even, we're even kind of being... Um, obedient to that part of the scripture. In other words, we're, we're, the fact that the Messiah is going to die is hidden from those who do not have the grace to understand it. And as soon as only those who have the grace to understand it are there, now we can open the Antimension because when we Christians see Christ dead, we say that's power that strength. When other people see Christ dead, they think that's failure. Mm -hmm. So we Christians see strength and power in weakness and in death. And therefore the Antimensian showing Christ's weakness, showing him dead is only open when only the faithful are there. That's good. Were you looking up the uh, Antimensian? 
Yeah, I was just looking up the, um, because there are words on them, but anything that I could find was in Greek or Slavonic or something, so um, I couldn't tell Ah. what it said, but it's about the body and blood of Christ and something or other. I can find the words if you want me to read them, but... Uh, Not necessarily. Maybe next time we'll we'll do a correction again or whatever. All right. Um, so then, um, anything else about that, sister or or Olivia? Um, no. Keep going. Okay. So the uh, the priest then sets the gifts down, and after he takes the veil, he takes the smaller veils off, and he puts the big veil on. That'll that'll be important in a second. So you take the small veils off of each one, you lay them aside, and then you take the large veil, the air a e r, and you and you lay that over. The um, we talked about this a little bit in the uh, the mm-hmm. tour of the church. You lay the air over the gifts, and again, this was originally just to keep the flies off, keep the bugs off, um, to protect the the bread and wine from from that. Um, but then the priest says, or the deacon says, excuse me, for the precious gifts placed before us, let us pray to the Lord. And the people say, Lord, have mercy. Then the priest prays this prayer. I'm going to go ahead and say the prayer, maybe not all, but this one because I just. Again, if you're listening, if you're doing laundry, whatever you're doing, um, I just I'm going to read it kind of prayerfully and slowly, just because these are very powerful prayers, and and I think we tend to we hear these prayers so often that we tend to not really let the beauty of them sink in. So then the the priest says this prayer: Lord God Almighty, who alone are holy, and receive the sacrifice of praise from those who call upon you with their whole heart, accept also the prayers of us sinners. Bring us to your holy altar. Enable us to offer you gifts and spiritual sacrifices for our sins and for the people's failings. Make us worthy to find favor in your sight that our sacrifice may be pleasing to you. That the good spirit of your grace may rest on us, on these gifts here present and on all your people. Grant us through the mercies of your only begotten son with whom you are blessed together with your all holy, good and life-creating spirit now and ever and forever. Amen. One thing to understand about this, you may you may have realized that subtly, um, is that these prayers used to be done silently, and and one of the things you'll see is that um, when when you're concelebrating, if you're a priest concelebrating at the altar, and again in the Roman tradition there was no concelebration, um, the concelebration that tradition was lost hundreds and hundreds of years ago and then brought back at Vatican II. So in the extraordinary form, there is no no concelebration. And one of the reasons is, is because you notice in the ordinary form of the Roman mass now, um, the concelebration, the priests, the priests pray certain prayers along with the celebrant, the concelebrating priests pray certain prayers along with the concelebrant, but most prayers they don't and they kind of alternate. In the Byzantine liturgy, any prayers that are important priestly prayers are prayed by all of the priests. So you'll, you'll see I'm like, for this prayer, all the priest's mouths will be moving. Even though you only hear one, mm-hmm. all the concelebrates are praying this prayer. And you, and you see in here, um, for instance, the prayer. Uh, la, la, la. Uh, bring us to your Sweet holy prayer. altar. <laughs> that was, I was speaking in tongues for a second there. Um, bring us to your holy altar. Enable us to offer you gifts and spiritual sacrifices for our sins and for the people's failings. Um, this... Oh, passive aggressive one, Olivia. The, 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 oh. This is 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 what I'm gonna <laughs> is what I'm gonna tie into the the podcast on sin because the, this is this is exactly that part I'm talking about um, where we say our sins and the people's failings. Mm-hmm. In other words, I, I can't judge um, that. And by by sins here, I mean that I I intentionally sinned. But when I say the people's failings, I'm in one level judging them and saying that. I don't know if they sinned. I don't know mm-hmm. if they intended. That's not me. That's not mine to judge. So I'm going to call them failings. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call them failings. So that that so pretty much this is not this is not a prayer that the people pray. This is a prayer that only the priests pray. So some some people disagree that these prayers should be done out loud. And when they I kind of get it because this is a prayer by the priest. This is not a prayer of the people. Now at the end after the doxology after this the very end the grant this the mercies of your only begotten son, et cetera, where we met, reference the Trinity, the people say amen. And the amen means yes, or I agree. So, so amen is literally saying, the people are saying what he said. You know, mm. like I, I, I agree with that and I stand by that. And, and, I, and I, I, like, I, I also say that along with him in a way, but you notice that the words are only meant for the priest because they're referring to the people. 
So it's not the people saying it, but the priests saying it. Um, so that's an important part of that uh, that sacrifice. But if you notice, this is just this is a prayer that now kind of is part of the kickoff for the next part of the divine liturgy um, that I'll get to next. Okay. Any thoughts on that, ladies? Um, I have one thing, but I think I'll bring it up at the beginning of the next episode. Okay, and we should probably be finishing up. That's why um, I'm going to bring it up in the next episode. Yep, and that's a good time because I love the next section, let us, let us love one another and into the creed. So mm. um, less banter next time, Father Michael, um, and we'll, we'll just get into so we, so we have more time. Okay. Um, okay, anything else? Any other thoughts, ladies, or we can get into intentions? No, I'm good to go into intentions. You okay. start it, it's your episode. Um, so, uh, please do pray for Father Nathan who will be arriving in nine minutes according to his GPS um, at my parish. Um, I've had, it's been a really, really nice shout out to all of Allie's family. I've met her parents. I've met her brothers and sisters. I've met all of her nieces and nephews. Um, and then, then the five girls that they have, it's been great. I'm really looking forward to have Father Nathan here. So just pray for, pray for our ministry. And then also since my mom just texted me, pray for my mom as well. Um, just because she popped up on my phone just now. So Father Nathan Adams and his family who are moving out here to LA so we can minister together. It's going to be a beautiful God bless thing. And for Mama Lachlan. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, please pray for Michael Coco, who you know from Denver, Father Michael. Um, but he, I went to college with him and um, he's from the Springs. But um I'm just realizing that the release date of this podcast is November 11th and that's his birthday and he doesn't like people to know his birthday so he's probably going to kill me for saying this but I said it so everyone pray for Michael. You know whose birthday that is also? No, but I should clearly. Sean O'Loughlin. Oh, so pray for for Michael and Sean. Um, And then please also just pray for Father Michael and me as we, like he mentioned that we're thinking about who we, he looks so oh. scared right now of like what I'm asking for. <laughs> well, uh, we're fighting right now. I'm asking for a new <laughs> spiritual father. He doesn't know it yet. No. <laughs> exactly. Um, as he mentioned, we're thinking about like who we want to be on our board and things like that. Um, and just kind of starting to have a, a little bit of some brainstorming sessions about what we desire for um, for the podcast. And so pray for us as we discern those things. Cool. And, and a quick life hack. I just, as I was pouring my coffee just now, I realized, um, sorry, total Perla. Um, I had, so I had a friend over last night, shout out to Laura. Um, I had a friend over last night or a couple nights ago and I, I moved to my new house and I did, I didn't have any ice and we wanted to drink whiskey with ice and I didn't have any ice. So I opened my freezer and I look and guess what I have in the freezer? ghetto pot popsicles in other words frozen grapes if you've never had frozen oh, grapes oh they're so they're good. so good so so frozen grapes are amazing but what works is if you don't have any ice for your whiskey you can put one frozen grape <gasps> into your glass pour whiskey over it this is this is Laura's idea so she saw them in there I said ooh frozen grapes and she's like let's put that instead of ice so she we put it in our whiskey and poured over it and so like you drink your whiskey and then you eat the grape at the end and oh, oh so good <laughs> that's anyway. Sounds anyway. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Whiskey with frozen grapes. So anyway, life hack. That sounds Isn't amazing. That amazing? It, it, it tastes much better than you think too. I don't. I don't know if like the whiskey seeps into the grape, but there's something about eating a green. It's green grapes. Uh, like eating a green grape after you. And like people, if they see, they just think it's an olive. <laughs> it's a green grape, <laughs> but it's not. It's a frozen grape. Okay, okay. Olivia's prayer intentions. Um, Sorry, please. <laughs> Go ahead, Olivia. Pray for somebody whose name is Laura, a different one different Laura. than okay. what Father Michael just mm. said. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for all the Lauras and those Lauras especially. <laughs> and thank you guys for actually praying. We've gotten some emails from people that that really appreciate the prayerful part at the end. Um, yeah. And I think that just it just means that that you know you actually are praying. Which is great. So say yeah, Jesus' beautiful. prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, right when you hear it or something like that, you know, so that we mm-hmm. actually are praying for these people. I think that's a very graceful moment. So, absolutely. All right. Give Dundies. Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy. Father, give the blessing. 
<laughs> May the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May he grant all of you who are listening peace. May he grant all of you who are listening zeal for the kingdom. May he allow you to always appreciate more and more the, the beautiful and ancient and Holy Spirit, God-inspired liturgies that we have. May you desire to understand better the, pray, the, the prayer that you're already doing. And may you always have the resources to appreciate more and more what God has given us in these beautiful liturgies. Um, may you understand better what it is and participate more fully and be able to teach your children, your friends, and those who are also looking to you for inspiration. May our Lord um, give you at this time a, a mind of forgiveness. May you forgive anybody who has hurt you and also ask for forgiveness in any way that you've been hurt um, in conjunction and along with the, the power of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All love right. you. Thank you. I love you too. I love you too, Olivia. Love give, you both. Um, give Father Nathan, give Father Nathan love from the nuns as well. Will do. And from I'll, Olivia. I'll tell him right now. He's probably pulling up any second now. All right. All right. Talk to you later. I'll bless you guys. Take care. Bye.